Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know this is normally Pastor Jason's thing, but howdy, y'all. Howdy, yeah, there we go. So for those of you joining online and you're just watching the sermon, sorry, it's a little confusing. Uh, Today is uh, Cowboy Church, Rodeo Church. We're going to have ourselves a good time. You may notice the best flower arrangement I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, That is a legitimate actual boo with actual spur attached, so that's pretty... I'm missing my other one, actually, is what's going on right now, but... um, so yeah, with Cowboy Church, I, got, I remember the first time that I rode a horse. I actually grew up around horses, but I remember the first time that I rode one. Um, I was kind of scared, like getting up to it and, and climbing on. And once I kind of found my way on, I was like, okay, okay. You know, you, you start, the horse started moving and I was like, all right, you kind of find a rhythm and you feel a connection there. And uh, well, at least for me, like as the horse started going faster, it started rocking more, it became a little more frightening. And then it started moving faster and faster, and I actually, I got thrown. I, I fell off, um, and, uh, and my, my, my boot got caught in the, in the stirrups. It was a, I thought I was going to die. Um, and then the manager of the Walmart came out and unplugged it, and everything was fine. And so, <laughs> that was just last Tuesday. Um, <laughs> let's go to God in prayer. <laughs> Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the chance where we can come together and, and have a good time. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, that worship can be such a blessing in our lives. And I pray that you continue to bless us. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your word. And it is your word. Uh, let it not be my word about me, from me. I submit myself to you and I pray that, Lord, everybody who hears us, whether here in this room or online, that we would have the strength and the courage to do that, to submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit that your truth may be proclaimed to each and every one of us. We pray all these things through your son Jesus, in his name, amen. So as I worked on the sermon for Cowboy Church, I thought, you know, how can I kind of tie these things together? How can I talk about cowboys in the sermon? Um, And I I did some research, and I found some cowboy advice. I thought, oh, I could kind of like build the sermon around that. Here are some examples. Uh, Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting the cat back in the bag. Um, there never was a horse that couldn't be rode, nor was there a cowboy that couldn't be throwed. Um, never miss a good chance to shut your mouth. That's a good one. I'm going to keep that one in mind later. Uh, let's see. Now, if you find yourself in a hole, best thing to do is stop digging. Uh, also, I, I really like this one. Okay. And I have to make sure I say it right without inserting any accent. Um, so you want to never approach a bull from the front, never approach a horse from the back, and never approach a fool from any side, right? These are all, like, this is legitimate. I could build sermons around these bits of advice. Um, but then I thought, okay, okay, what about, the, what about the Bible? Does the Bible talk about cowboys at all? And I realized, like, shepherds in some sense are kind of like cowboys, right? They live out in the wilderness. They, they drive cattle, sheep across the land. Um, they care for the cattle. And then I realized uh, that Jesus and his disciples in many ways were just a band of outlaws, like just like in the old West movies, right? Because they were kind of thrown from town to town. They had nomadic lives. Uh, So there's something there. But then I realized, you know, I really like watching cowboy movies. Um, Some of my favorites are like the old ones that have been redone, uh, Magnificent Seven, True Grit, things like that. And I realized that in those movies, never once does a cowboy make a long speech. So I figured, well, let's just keep it short today. So today's sermon will be a little bit shorter because brevity is the key, right? So now, as kids, I don't know about y'all, but as a kid, for me, I always wanted to be a cowboy. 
right? Like, not like, you know, like a modern cowboy. I'm talking like Old West, like the guy that comes rolling into town and is all mysterious, guy's hat pulled down real low, and like, who's this guy? And the town, like, they, like, scatter when he comes in, you know, and he gets off. He's got that long duster coat. He's got the, the six shooter on his side, and he goes into the saloon, and the music stops, you know? Um, the kind of guy that, like, finds himself at high noon, standing on the main drag, like, looking right down the barrel, seeing, like, pure evil, like, the, the guy that's been tormenting the town, you, being the good guy to stand out. That's always been my dream, to be the hero. And, and I'm, I'd imagine for at least some of you, like, man, that's, that's a dream that we have. And like, as kids, you always want to play, like, you want to be a cowboy, right? But the reality is the vast majority of us aren't the hero, aren't the mysterious stranger, but instead we're just the folks living in the town. We're the ones that are like scattering when the guy comes into town, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you're here just trying to keep the general store going, you know, just trying to, to make ends meet. Maybe you're the school teacher, right? That trope of like they get all the kids like, come on, let's go, let's go. And they got to go hide because something's about to go down. What I hope your job isn't is you're not like the, the window guy in town because uh, every time somebody gets thrown through that plate glass at the saloon, you're like, oh, <sighs> again, right? So reality is we're just, we're just the townspeople and we're, we're sitting and waiting for a hero, right? Like there's, there's been this, this chaos in our town. There's been chaos in our lives. We see pain, we see frustration, and we're waiting for somebody to come in and save us as we like see Satan and, and his bandits constantly influencing our lives. And we're just doing everything we can to get through, hoping that somebody will come save us. And I just picture like Jesus, like leaning up against something and being like, I'm your huckleberry, and coming out and starting to like fight Satan, right? That's our gospel reading today, is Jesus squaring off against Satan at high noon. It's amazing, right? Because, okay, here's the story here when it comes to this. After Jesus is baptized, he, like a cowboy, goes out into the wilderness, goes out into the desert of Judea, goes out in, in, in the middle of nowhere, and he just survives for 40 days, yeah, I obviously had to have some sort of water because, you know, human body can't last that long. And Jesus was fully man, fully God, but also fully man. But he didn't eat anything for 40 days. And my favorite understatement of the Bible is in our reading today where it said he was hungry. Like, yeah, you think? Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a little, I could eat. Like, if you order French fries, I'll have some French fries, maybe. A little peckish. No, like, he was starving. He was, he was famished, right? And so he, he's out there. He's been surviving. And, um, and Satan comes along. By the way, this whole idea of the fast, it's an interesting notion because it seems to be a way for Jesus to connect with his heavenly father, to connect more with God, right? Because sometimes when you have less, it's easier to connect with God, right? Because it's easier to receive God's gifts if your hands are empty. I'm going to say that again because that's a good word. It's easier to receive God's gifts sometimes if your hands are empty. And so that's Jesus. He's out there and he is at one with God. You could say that his spirit and perhaps even his soul is healthy, but his body at this point is very weak. Enter Satan. And, and he decides, Satan decides to tempt Jesus, to do everything he can, the very same tricks that he's learned against mankind. And he's gotten pretty good at these tricks over the ages, right? And so he tempts him with three different things. The first thing is, is he says, Jesus, you're hungry. And, and he attacks that, that impulsive carnal nature that we have, right? That, that human, I am hungry and I am impulsive. You know how like some of you are going to get cranky in about 20 minutes because you're getting a little hungry? It's that same thing, only it's like 40 days worth, right? 
And it's the same reason that when you're checking out the grocery store, they put all those candy bars there, right? And you're like, ooh, I've been waiting for them. I'm taking myself a Milky Way. But this isn't just an impulse like, I, I just had lunch, but I could use a candy bar, something sweet. No, this is I haven't eaten for 40 days. And so Satan comes along and says, hey, you're Jesus, aren't you? You're the son of God. All these rocks that are around, and of which there are plenty because the Judean desert, pretty much just rocks. He says, you could turn this into bread. Warm bread, steaming, crusty, perfect bread. Wouldn't that be nice, Jesus? And Jesus, in his fully man mind, is saying, yeah. But instead, he shrugs it off. The second temptation, we're actually going to go to the third one in our reading, um, because some of them have them in different orders. Uh, There's the temptation of going to the top of the tower and jumping off so that the angels will catch him, right? That temptation is for knowledge. It's for knowledge about God. It's for knowledge really in the existence of God. It's testing God. It's that knowledge that we desire, that we thirst for. And, and perhaps you're thinking, well, I'm not looking to throw myself off a building and see if angels catch me, but, but I know because I've had people sit in my office and say, well, I prayed to God that he would fix this. I prayed to God that he would heal this, and it didn't happen. So is there a God? And how is that any different? Because you're testing God in that sense. It's one thing to, to say, God, I, I asked for this, and I didn't receive it, and, I, and I'm angry about it. That's one thing. But it's another to then question the existence of God. It's that knowledge, because listen, if I could, if I could snap my fingers and like this ceiling opened up and a beam of light shone down and we heard a voice that said, yes, I am God and I am real, that would be amazing and our attendance would be way better right? This place would be packed if we could do that. But instead we have faith. We trust in God rather than this thirst for the knowledge of God. Then the third one, the second one in this reading is power and authority, right? Satan comes to him and says, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, which was something that when I was a kid, I really struggled with. Like, why is that something that Satan can give? Because Satan knows how dumb people are. Satan knows that he can manipulate humans like that. He's done it throughout history at this point. He knows that he just has to whisper the littlest thing, and they go, yes, that is what I want now. And so he's offering Jesus this power, this authority, and he says this could all be yours. Hubris, arrogant self-pride, the downfall of all mankind. It's kind of an issue in the news right now. I don't know if you've been following things, but this thirst, this desire for power, for land, for, for growth, for, for being the biggest and greatest is kind of a problem in things right now. And so this desire, this lust for authority, these are the three things that Satan tempts Jesus with. These are the same things that Satan tempts us with. And usually he doesn't have to get past the very first one, like that, that immediate impulsive carnal desire. Yeah, he doesn't have to get past that one. We're all pretty guilty of that. And so he brings these to Jesus, and how does Jesus respond? He doesn't just say, like, no thanks. No, he responds with the word of God. He responds with truth. He responds and says, no, 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 this is what Scripture says. Because keep in mind, what did Satan do? Satan twisted Scripture. Even on that last one, he takes Scripture and he just changes it, changes the context, changes it to fit his meaning. Guess what? The church is guilty of that at times. 
Christians are guilty of that at times. We take something that's good and we twist it and apply it to our needs, to our desires, to our biases. That's how you end up with things like people feeling unwelcome in church because they're being judged. Because we would believe the lie. We twist the word of God into saying, well, you have to act a certain way and look a certain way and talk a certain way in order to be a Christian. Yeah, that certain way is sinfulness. And we're all pretty good at it. See, we take the word of God and we twist it. We take something good and beautiful and we use it to be destructive. But God's word, to use a cowboy illustration, is the campfire that pushes away the fear of the darkness. It's the campfire that provides that warmth and that protection, that safety from whatever lurks out there. God's truth is there for us. The thing about fire, by the way, is if you don't spread it, eventually it goes out. If you don't keep feeding it, eventually it goes out. It's the same thing with God's truth within us, right? We seek to spread that word. We seek to spread that truth. We seek to, to grow that word within us. But I think there's something else that we can learn from this story of Jesus going out to the wilderness, right? Because we can learn about God's word. We can learn about how he, he works against these temptations, how Jesus remained perfect even though he was fully man and fully capable of sin, by the way. I've heard that said. It's like, oh, well, he, it wasn't that good a deal because Jesus couldn't sin. No, no, Jesus could sin. He just didn't. But there's something else that can be comforting for us. Because, see, I talked earlier about how we're the people in the town, you know, diving and hiding behind when the, when the bad guys show up. But oftentimes in our lives, man, we're the people in the wilderness. You ever felt that way? That you're just wandering around and you're lost and you're hungry and you're just straight up tired. And you don't even really know how you got there or how to get back. You ever had days like that, weeks like that, months like that, a lifetime like that? Sometimes we're the ones wandering in the wilderness. And what Jesus is saying is, I've been there. Literally, we have a God who doesn't just watch from afar and say, yeah, that must be terrible. No, he literally lived in the wilderness for 40 days. We have a God who is willing to insert himself into the story so that he could feel exactly what his people feel, so that he could experience his people mourned and as they celebrated, he could experience the human condition and show us that it's possible to live without sin. See, God has been there, and that reminds us that when we're in the wilderness, when you're in the wilderness, you are not alone. You're not by yourself out there. And if there's anything that I've learned from all those cowboy movies, like True Grit, it's listen to your guide. Listen to the one who's been there, right? Because if you think, no, no, I know the way that I'm going, listen to the one who knows, who knows the path, who knows the surrounding, who knows the world around you, who knows the way. And when you listen to your guide, something happens. Suddenly that fear starts to melt away. When you listen to the one who's walked that path, suddenly you're no longer afraid of what lurks out there. And what happens then is you can start to look around and you see the world differently. Because if you've watched any cowboy movies, old West movies, the scenes where they're going from town to town and they're out in the middle of nowhere, they're the most beautiful, awe-inspiring. You got these sweeping landscapes as they ride their horses and it's just amazing. But if you're in the middle of that and you're so concerned about the 15 feet around you because of snakes and bandits and, and who knows what, then you're not gonna see the beauty in your life. But if you follow your God, if you trust in your God who has been there, who's been in the wilderness and will see you through, then you can realize all the beauty that's in the world around you. 
You can look at your life and cling to the things that bring joy, that put a smile on your face, that will help you get through. Because we know that even though we live in this broken world, there's something so much better waiting for us. That there's something that is full of paradise, full of love, full of glory of God waiting for us. That's why we have this hero who sacrificed himself, who gave his life for us. So that when you're in the wilderness, you know that that's not the end of your story, nor is it the end of his story. So I pray that God is with you, that you can know that God is with you, that that makes a difference to you, and that you can then share that with others because there are people in our lives who are wandering in the wilderness. And they're cold, and they're afraid, and they don't know the way. And we can help them. That's the mission of the church. That's why we come here. It's not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say how great we are. We come here for community. Let's let that community proclaim a God who saves. Proclaim a God who delivers hope. Proclaim a God who brings warmth and comfort, who brings protection. A God who will never fail us. A God who is with you. No matter what, no matter where you are, whatever you go through in this life, God is with you. Amen.